Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in the gospel we heard. We begin with a prayer. Almighty Father, on this day you gave your Son to be our Savior. We ask you, O Lord, that you would fill our hearts and our minds with repentance and faith, knowing that Jesus has died for our sins. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. If you had been given the task of writing a gospel, and by writing a gospel, I mean giving sort of an account of Jesus' ministry to the world, what parts of Jesus' life would you include? Which parts of his ministry would you make sure were put into your gospel rendering of Christ's life? Would you include the miracles? Perhaps you would include his teachings. Certainly all of us would have Jesus gathering the little children to himself, right? We would have all of those accounts that make Jesus look so wonderful and likable to us. Sure, we might spend a little bit of time on the cross, but we would also most certainly include great accounts of his resurrection. Or what about this? If you were to write this account, this gospel, which parts would you leave out? Which accounts would you choose to ignore, not include, because you think they're a little offensive, irrelevant, or somewhat upsetting? How would you write about Jesus? I have written what I have written, said Pontius Pilate, about the sign that he hung above Jesus' head as he was being crucified on that Good Friday. There on that sign, it was sort of a placard that they would put above the heads of the criminals who were crucified, and it was a very common thing to do. And what they would do on these placards is they would write the crime of the person who was being crucified. And they would write it in multiple languages, so anybody who was walking by the person being crucified would look up and see, that's their crime. And if I do what they did, that's where I'll end up. And so these were placed above the heads of the people on the crosses. And so Jesus has his crime written above his head. But it's interesting, this, this phrase that is written about Jesus' crime is not what the accusers want. This is not what the accusers want the sign to say. Pilate wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. See, the King of the Jews, that's no crime. And so the Jews, Jesus' accusers, wanted it to say something else. These Pharisees, these leaders of the religious people said this, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, I have written what I have written. Now make no mistake, Pilate's writing here was not done in an effort to honor Jesus. He was not sort of saying in reverence of some profound theology of the cross that here is the great king of all creation. Rather, what he was doing, he was getting in one last dig at the Jews. You need to understand that in those days there was a great deal of consternation between the Romans who were occupying Jerusalem and the Jews who lived in Jerusalem. It was a constant political power game, a constant chess match between both sides trying to gain power over the other one. And on this particular afternoon, the Jews had had won the day. They defeated Pilate. 
They had told Pilate, listen, this man is out there claiming to be a king, and if you do not have him crucified, you are no friend of Caesar, and you are complicit in the insurrection he is creating. Now, Pilate wanted no business in crucifying Jesus, but when you start to say things like you're no friend of Caesar, you're witnessing a veiled threat. They were essentially saying, we'll tell on you, and Caesar won't be happy with you. You will lose your job and perhaps your life. So Pilate, in his cowardice, has Jesus crucified. But in getting him crucified, he gets one last dig in at the Jews. Here's your king, he says, knowing that it will anger them. See, in writing this, Pilate is just using Jesus as a pawn in his political game. He's writing to use Jesus for his own purposes against his own enemies. And so people have been writing this way about Jesus ever since. Writing about Jesus in ways that will use him to their own ends against their own enemies. I heard a very random song lyric the other day by a band that none of us have ever heard of. The name of the band is uh, Dawes, D-A-W-E-S. We're all big fans, I know. Uh, and, but this line I thought was rather profound. The line said this, I pointed my fingers and shouted quotes that I knew as if something that's written should be taken as true. It's an interesting line. And it's certainly sort of an anti-Christian line. And yet in hearing this line, it strikes me that all too often this is how the world likes to use Jesus to take the things that are written about Jesus, the parts that we like, and then to accuse others with him, to use Jesus for our ends, to point out the guilt and the shame and the evil in others. People aren't so much interested in listening to Jesus and following Jesus as they are in using Jesus as a tool, someone that can be utilized to further a cause or push an agenda, to point your fingers and quote with Jesus, going after those you disagree with, not so much to be listened to and trusted, but to be molded like a wax nose to fit whatever face we want. That's not a foolish move. I mean, Jesus is a good guy to pick for this sort of thing. He is a very powerful and profound figure. Everybody wants Jesus on their side. Jesus gets the vote. So book upon book is written about Jesus to demonstrate how Jesus is on our side. Picture upon picture is painted of Jesus to make him look, you know, so much like one of us. Jesus is always painted in a manner that we love, that we like, in our image. And this seems to be what people think, is that they want a Jesus, a God who comes in their image. But I'm not so convinced that that's true anymore. I don't think the world wants a God that's created in its image. No, I think the world wants to be God. And in order to be God, you must remove the true God from the throne. So Jesus is now depicted for us as someone we can use and manipulate, who will serve us as our lackey. Jesus is used against our enemies to our ends. Which I think, this is why it's a really fascinating question. If you were to put together a little gospel, which accounts would you use and which accounts would you leave out? Because the way you answer that question, I fear, is going to say much more about you than it is about Jesus. See, far too often, 
what we deem our best thoughts about Jesus really end up exposing our idols. The problem that the world has, and let's be honest, the problem that we have is that we want Jesus on our terms. We want to use Jesus as a tool to give us power and authority and ease. We want a Jesus that we can love, and we want a Jesus that we can never be offended by. And don't get me wrong, we will include the accounts in the Gospels, you know, uh, where Jesus does go after his enemies, but we'll just do it in such a manner that makes his enemies look a lot like our enemies. We're happy to use Jesus. Looking upon him and listening to him, that's hard. Why tonight is hard. Today is difficult as we gaze upon the cross and we hear the agonizing words of Christ, the Son of God, the King of the Jews. And as we do, we are reminded that Jesus did not come in the flesh and go to the cross in order to fit our mold. He did not come to do our will. He came to do the will of the Father. What happened to him on that Good Friday was not your will. It was the Father's will. And everything Jesus did that night went according to plan, just as it had been written of him. St. John never tires of telling us how every painful, offensive, difficult, agonizing detail of that passion had, had been prophesied, had been written by the power of God through the prophets. John tells us that as Jesus hung there naked, stripped, beaten, bloody, mocked, and heartlessly uh, having his clothes gambled over by those soldiers, John says, this was to fulfill the scriptures, which say, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Later, after Jesus is Hanging there for a while, he sees his mother and his beloved disciple. And after he comforts them, St. John writes, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. Later on, as he has exhausted his life, as he has died on that cross, the soldiers come along, and they take a spear and they shove it up into his side so that it might pierce his heart, and from that piercing comes water and blood which flow out. Upon seeing this dead Jesus, they decide they're not going to break his legs, which was the custom of the people who were crucified there. If they were living too long, they would break their legs to speed up the process. But Jesus had already died. And so John writes, These things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones is broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. Now who among you, in writing about Jesus, would have a God that is so mocked, that is so thirsty, that is so weak and exposed and crucified? You would not have this God. You would move through this God rather quickly. We would go through this, count, uh, through this count as quickly as we could so we could get to the real good stuff, the resurrection, when we can tell Jesus is a king. And there we have the glory and the angels and the Easter lilies and all the happiness, and we don't have to think about this cross anymore. We would not do this. We would see this and say, don't write such horrible, offensive things 
Do not say he was so humiliated, so weak, so incapable, so thirsty. That is not becoming of the way we speak of God. Do not make him look so shameful. Do not make him look so human, so much like us. No, make him look like what we want to be. Make him look like what we desire. Make him look like the way we want him to look. Don't put him on a cross and shame him and then say that this is the king of the Jews. We would say, do not write. This is the king of the Jews. There it is. That's why you would never write or even desire this account. Because you end up looking and sounding an awful lot like the religious leaders who opposed you. You end up looking and sounding an awful lot like those who put Jesus on the cross. You and I end up looking too much like the enemies of God. You see, that's why we will not have this account. Because we cannot get away from this account without recognizing that truth. We are the enemies. You cannot use this account of Jesus. You cannot use this Jesus against your enemies because you are the enemies. You are the guilty ones. And so am I. The crucifiers of Jesus. You imposed your will on him and your sin put him there. This account leaves you and I nothing but guilty. Just as it is written, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. In another place it says, none of us is righteous. No, not one. And in another place it is written, you crucified him. It is your guilt, your shame, and your sin that put him there. That is what is written. That's what you've done. You have done what is written of you. But more importantly, so did Jesus. Jesus did exactly what was written of him by God. Remember, everything that we are witnessing this day is going according to his will, as it is written, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. So as we see Jesus dying, we see the Son faithfully and willingly carrying out the Father's will. And though we would turn our faces away in shame and guilt, the will of God carried out in Christ is yet done for your sake, for mine. As it is written, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. God has written what he has written. And what he has written is true. And these things done by Jesus Christ were carried out, and they were carried out for you. The things in the scriptures are written so that your sins are exposed, your idolatry is destroyed, and your guilt is laid bare, and you are led to confess. But more importantly, these things are written so that you will hear and you will believe. 
But it is true. Jesus was wounded for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. Chastisement that brought you peace with God came through him, and by his wounds you are healed. You are forgiven. Just as it is written. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, have mercy upon us for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. He has died in our place, but we might live with you. Have mercy on us and grant us faith in these promises. In his name we pray.